welcome to this edition of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. This is Richard Lanford. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. This Sunday, June 27th, is the conclusion of a three-part sermon series on how do I know what God wants me to do. And uh, it also uh, touches on Pride Sunday. And um, I hope you will enjoy this message. It's a little bit different than the first two, but that's okay. And before going further, I invite you to join me in a brief moment and spirit and words of prayer. Move, Holy Spirit, we humbly ask as we listen that we may hear what you want us to hear. Bless this time that we may be blessed and turn and bless others. This we ask in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Amen. Mandy Stegmuller is our lector. She brings us readings from Genesis 12, 2 Corinthians 4, Hebrews 11, and Matthew 26. Our Old Testament lesson is a familiar one to most of us. It is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. For the epistle lesson, we once again have two passages. The first is one we heard recently, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. And its setting is the trials Paul and his fellow missionaries have experienced trying to spread the gospel. Paul writes, So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look at not what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. The second epistle reading is from the letter to the Hebrews, verses 8 through 10 of chapter 11. In this famous chapter listing, all the heroes of faith from Israel's history This is a key point of the chapter. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that had foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith he had received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. This ends the reading from Genesis and the letters. Will those who are able please stand up for the proclamation of the Gospel of Matthew? It comes to us from the Passion of Jesus, what we would call Monday Thursday night. 
It is Matthew 26, verses 36 through 45. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into this time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Here ends the reading of the Gospel and the scriptures for today's service. May God add to us a joyful and wise understanding of this, the Word of God for the people of God. How do I know what God wants me to do? Over the last two weeks, I have lifted up two handfuls of ways, or ways to think about the question. One core way we know is through the scriptures, with informed interpretation and solid translation. Our odds of getting some answers are improved by drawing near to God in prayer, and not just prayer by ourselves. We are informed also by the Bible's overall message of love from God, love for God, agape love for neighbors and even enemies. Last week I spent time valuing the communities of faith as a forum in which we get help also. These also help us decide what it is God wants me to do, to be, or to become in a given set of circumstances or beyond, maybe a longer stretch of life. And this morning, Pride Sunday, I want to lift up a question which goes alongside this main one. Is it honestly what God wants us to do that we want to know? Or are we perhaps earnestly fooling ourselves? The human will is a tricky thing since the Garden of Eden. It's human nature that really wants to call its own shots, to be free to make its own decisions, thank you very much. Tell God that we got this, thanks. And that will is part of being human. Are we truly ready to surrender our own will, our own plans, to the Lord's, so we can hear or learn and learn and do what God wants us to do, to the best of our discernment. It's a tough thing, a lot of the time, if we're honest. Honest is what you and I have to be with this. Jesus was, and he's our model. Our friend Frederick Bruner writes of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, a part of Jesus' fidelity or faithfulness. A part of Jesus' fidelity was his telling the Father the truth 
about his wants rather than pretending perfection. Another part of Jesus' fidelity was his asking for correction if his request was wrong. That is when Jesus prayed both. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. As his sincere desire not to go through his suffering, death, and crucifixion. And then asking correction, yet not what I want, but what you want. Jesus honestly prayed for what he wanted, but was also signaling that his will was not as important as God the Father's. There is a subtle but profound shift between his first prayer and the second. I just quoted the first petition, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I want to get out of this. Let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Listen to the second. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. If it is possible, let this cup pass. If this cannot pass unless I drink it, they're not the same. There is a spiritual movement during or in between the two prayers. Bruner said, we see the motion of a surrender to God's will, we surmise that praying itself taught Jesus something. If that's true, you and I can learn too. Sinking our will with God's can happen during prayer or in between prayers, and in faith, that's one of the reasons we pray. Your will, not my will, be done to let God reorient us. By the time Jesus' third prayers ended, it seemed he was ready to go with the plan because he stood up and said, hey, it's showtime, wake up, you guys. The hour of darkness is coming, I'm going to get arrested. And he was ready for that. Ego, yours and mine, have to be prepared honestly to let go of the wheel. It's not as easy or as pious as it sounds. The ego is part and parcel of our self. Our self, which is what Jesus said we would have to deny to follow him. It's not you have to deny yourself many things, but deny oneself. That has many dimensions to it. Some of them impact us negatively, and they hold on insidiously. For example, a low self-esteem rooted in childhood and adolescence may be part of our ego or self. It can shape choices for us based on that without us necessarily realizing it early on. What it means is someone may only shoot for lower risk jobs. They set their horizons lower than others. Oh, she'll never go out with me. I can never get that job because they cannot hack anything better, or so they think. On the flip side, someone's low self-regard can be connected to a very willful spirit that rebels against the old scars and sometimes makes graceless decisions that make it more likely to get noticed, to be a champion, and sometimes this becomes too selfish. And yet, one can also be both. 
a very low self-esteem, I'm not good enough, and yet other times be the other. That's how crazy our wills and our egos can be. And that's just one example, or two examples, but there are two examples of how one's ego can create problems which God's will would spare us and others. To let go of it, to go along instead with God's guidance instead, is not only tough, but our ego, once surrendered, is always ready to jump back behind the wheel and push God's will aside. Okay, you've had ten minutes, or you've had a week, now it's my turn again. More than once, I have heard a mentor tell a mentee who made a poor choice, that's because you took your will back. As is, as in, you took it back from God. So, this part of the sermon is not only a celebration, of how Jesus is a model for us. And you know, this didn't happen instantly. Oh, it's my will. It took a while for Jesus. We don't know how long he was in that Garden of Gethsemane. It's also a warning, though, about the need for us to truly, honestly, want to give ourselves to our loving God and agree to do what God is telling us, to go in the directions God points us. We have to believe that's best and buy in. This takes a lot of faith. Sometimes to be faithful, our choices are those which will bring hardship along the line, and sometimes we know that. People of faith throughout history have made sacrifices which made a positive impact somewhere else, or simply proclaim the holiness of God by showing that God comes first and love comes first, even when that comes at a significant cost. And it's not confined to Christian faith either. As I quoted Elvis Dumbledore two weeks ago, sometimes we face the choice between doing what is easy and doing what is right. Jesus had such a faith, I believe, that resurrection would be the result, making it easier for him to really mean your will, not mine, be done. In Genesis 12, which we heard Mandy read, Abram had enough faith to follow the Lord's summoning to, nowhere specific, to a land that I will show you. I've always loved that phrase. And the summons, though, came with a promise for his descendants, to which Abraham clung. He never let go of that promise. He saw that his and Sarah's lives were going someplace new with God underway. There was a bigger picture that they would not live to see, but God promised it, and so they went with it. Paul writing about the suffering and hopes of his missionary work, said something which matches Abraham's faith. We heard Randy read, for this slight momentary affliction, and he had a lot of afflictions. It was earlier in the chapter that he listed them. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond, beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. People seeking to know what God wants them to do may find that choosing God's desires can result in hardship. 
but they can also believe that there is something bigger, some divine purpose, some end game being played out, as I said the other week, though I don't like to use the word game. And this applies to Pride Sunday. For decades, the struggle for acceptance, equality, welcome and affirmation, a release from fear as well, and from having to be closeted, was waged. In some ways and in some places, it is far from over. The leaders and followers in those struggles had to and have to also take a long view. Over time, their work would, they trusted, result in winning that long game for fairness and welcome. If they had the faith in God to see God's hand of love, justice, peace, and fellowship at work, they had even more reason to trust and keep going. This is part of how we can know what God wants us to do or to choose. See if it can be or is in sync with a longer plan of God. The ark of providence may frame our understanding of what God wants you or me or St. Peter's to do. Are we going in the eternal direction of justice and peace and grace and even eternity? Do we see how our choice could help in some way spread or uphold God's ways, truth, and the kingdom's values? How do we know what God wants us to do? Recognize our own ego drive, how it can complicate things. Be like Jesus and do the hard work of surrendering it. Not to our wants, but to those of Christ, if they are not the same as ours. And that calls for discernment. What God wants for us to choose may well be a role in the long game of providence, arcing towards a new day under God. We trust that because we trust the God with a plan we may not perceive like Abram and Paul and so many others. And it was okay with them that they didn't have to see or believe in only what they could see. We trust God because we trust that grace that we know in Jesus Christ. Well, being in worship is a good time today to give thanks for those in that aforementioned struggle who continued to have faith in the God whom so many churches pointed to and still point to as to why LGBTQ plus persons are condemned. I remember the day we voted on becoming ONA that the sermon included a letter written by a young gay woman to their new local church pastor that they were leaving their beloved church and why? Because of preaching like that. Without realizing that the damning passages called the clobber passages by some, have historical, cultural, and time-bound contexts from churches that cause lots of gay, bi, and trans folk to renounce their faith, to walk away, including a dear friend of ours. But it also led and leads to self-murder, especially among young people struggling with coming out or the aftermath. We praise God 
for those who held on to their faith in the God of Jesus Christ, getting what really is the gospel, trusting still the one who loves them and died and rose again for them, just as much as for straits. They chose what God wanted them to do. And it was hard, and may still be hard for a lot. Well, decades ago, the United Church of Christ, I think it was 1987, voted at General Synod, which is like our Congress, to be an open and affirming denomination, not merely a tolerating denomination of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and later questioning or queer intersexual and asexual persons. But individual congregations in the United Church of Christ can ignore this. That's how the UCC works. Each local church has decisions to make. In 2016, I believe the appreciative inquiry process led to the start of an open and affirming committee. Now, I won't rehash the process, but it did include studying scripture and a set of DVD-led discussions. We looked at those passages that are used to condemn LGBTQ plus people alongside Bible passages that pronounce the same abomination or death sentence on those who do stuff that people do now without a problem. Walter Wink's book, Homosexuality and Christian Faith, was very helpful, as was Reverend Octemeyer's, Mark Octemeyer's book and DVD, God's Yes to Same-Sex Marriage and Evangelicals' Change of Heart. They pointed out how our old understandings were not the whole story. Ego, check. What did God want us to do? What did God want us to choose? First, we chose to pick up the issue. On June 24th of 2018, we voted 40 to 5 to become an open and affirming congregation within our United Church of Christ. Shortly thereafter, two persons joined who said this new status was among the reasons they joined. And it wasn't just of the gender orientation aspect of it. There is more to it, as I'll say in a second. They chose, we chose in adopting this covenant to say no. No to the hatred and various kinds of abuse our LGBTQ plus friends have suffered. It was a chance and a choice to say yes them and affirm them as full members of the church if they joined with full participation in church life. As I said, it's not only about gender identity and orientation, our covenant. We chose to go along with grace, the long arc of God's purposes. Just as much to the point is that despite all the spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical abuse visited upon them, so many have decided that God's will be done in their cases too. And these sisters and brothers stayed seeking communities of faith where they can be fully loved and be equal partners in Christ's service. I don't know how many chose to never darken the door of a church again, but I know some, and many but many stuck around believing in God, believing in Christ, and ultimately found welcoming congregations where there is a safe place Plus, I heard on the radio on Friday that this is even truer of men, gay men of color. Their faith grounding was unsinkable. And 
So they persevered in finding and searching. This faith of theirs and ours, as we share it, is something to celebrate. They and we, too, believe in a longer game under God than what fundamentalists and many evangelicals see. May God's gracious will for shalom be done. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you found the message inspirational and maybe challenging, but I'm glad that you dropped by and, and gave us a listen. Next Sunday will be June 27th. Uh, I will conclude this three-sermon series on trying to know what God wants us to do, and uh, it will also be Pride Sunday, and that will not be forgotten either. So, thanks once again, and may God bless your week. Bye.